Good morning. Today is Sunday, September 19th, 2021. What I'd like to share with you this morning is partially based on an article by Arthur Schaefer, who is a professor of plant biology at Yeshiva University. The symbolism for the mitzvos of each Yom Tov, Pesach, Shavuos, and Sukkos, is given to us in the text of the Torah. The symbolism for each of the objects that we use, for example, the object that we use to celebrate Pesach, matzah, the Torah tells us it is lechem oni, the bread of poor people. The Torah also tells us it was eaten bechipazon. It was a food that was eaten hurriedly as the Jewish people were hurrying to get ready to leave Egypt and hurrying to run away from Egypt. Also on Sukkos, the one of the main symbols or, or mitzvahs of sukkah is uh, the sukkah, the structure that we sit in for our meals on sukkos. And the Torah tells us, Ki Israel, when you travel through the desert, you, you, I had you dwell in a sukkah. Okay, two different opinions about what the sukkah is, but clearly it's meant to, to represent to us the traveling through the desert from Egypt towards Israel of the Jewish people, protected by God by these sukkos. That's what the sukkah is supposed to represent. The Torah tells us clearly. In addition to that layer of symbolism for each of the holidays, the Torah also connects each of the three festivals with agricultural symbolism. So, the Torah tells us Pesach is connected to the barley harvest. And on Pesach, an offering of barley, an omer of barley was offered, and that is the omer offering. On Shavuos, the wheat offering was celebrated, and there was another offering on Shavuos, Shtehalechem, loaves of bread that were baked from the new wheat crop were celebrated on, on Shavuos. And on Sukkos, we commemorate the fruit and vegetable harvest and the idea of gathering in the rest of our crops and celebrating this harvest. So there are at least two different layers of symbolism for the three festivals, one relating to the historical events for which they took place, and then relating to the agricultural uh, milestones for the farmer in Israel. What is very interesting is, though the Torah does give us this historical symbolism for a sukkah, the Torah does not give us any symbolism for the Dalit Minim, for the four species, Lulav, Esreg, Hadas, and Arava. Now the mitzvah to hold and to wave the Lulav and Esrog is one of the main mitzvahs of Sukkos. We begin on Monday, on Tuesday morning. We make a bracha, we wave it, we wave it while we say Hallel, we walk around the bima, around the shul, 
one time every day, and then on Hoshana Rabbah seven times. So the Dalid meaning Lulav, Esra, Kadas, and Rava, these four species are a main part of our observance, and yet the Torah gives us no historical basis for those four species and no symbolic explanation of why these four species should be chosen uh, uh, instead of any others. And which is especially strange, number one, not just why there is no reason, but if Sukkos does have a layer of symbolism relating to harvest of fruits and vegetables, these four species, none of them are edible or readily edible. Why celebrate a holiday that has to do with a harvest, which normally has to do with those things that we're going to eat? Why celebrate it with these species, these objects that uh, are largely non-edible? Though the Torah itself does not give any symbolism for the Sporsi species, our rabbis did. Later, in the time of the Midrash, in the time of the Talmud, we find symbolism of these four species. The four species uh, are a metaphor for four parts of the body. The lulav is a metaphor for the spine, the etc. etc. Each one for a different part of the body. Or another set of metaphors, and maybe this one we're more familiar with. The four species relate to four different types of Jews. Jews who perform mitzvos and who study Torah, etc. etc. Each of the species relates to a different kind of a Jew. And the idea, of course, is that we take all four types and we bring them together. However, these later series of metaphors from the time of the Midrash and the Talmud, they were written when those authors were no longer living in Israel. They did not know the botany of Israel. And they did not know anything about the plants that were native there at that time because they were living later and in a different place. So they were asserting symbolism disconnected from seeing how these plants actually grow in Israel. And today, it's an amazing thing. In recent years, we see it. We see all four of these species actually growing in Israel in their natural habitat. And we live with it. And we know now a great deal about the history of the plants and trees in Israel, including the botany, the plants and trees that existed at the time that the Torah was given. And so this is an approach that is based on that information. And obviously, it takes someone who is a Torah scholar, 
who is also a professor of biology at a place like Yeshiva University, to be able to put together this information to come up with this approach. And it's absolutely incredible. Starts with the following premise. Water means something different in Israel than it means to us. Yes, of course, water you drink. We all know water is necessary to sustain life. We all know if you're going to grow crops, you need water. Yes. But it has a completely different meaning and role in life in Israel versus everywhere else. Let's say, for example, here. Because in Israel, agriculture is based on, requires dry summers, and wet winters, and crops depend on that. Should there be rain in the middle of the summer, it is damaging to crops. And of course, not enough rain in the winter, of course, is damaging to crops. Not only does it rely on dry summers and wet winters, it also requires the proper beginning and ending of both. If the dry season doesn't begin at the correct time, too early or too late causes a problem. And if the rainy season starts too early or too late, it causes a problem. And then, of course, obviously, during the rainy season, crops require the right amount of rain. Too little is no good and too much is no good. It's a very, very narrow range of what will be what conditions will lead to a successful agricultural season in Israel. And this is not by coincidence. This is intentional. This is a part of God's plan of what God has in mind for the Jewish people living in Israel. Listen, please, to this passage in the parish of Akev. We read it in the Torah several weeks ago. Again, this is near the end of the 40 years in the desert. The Jewish people are about to enter the land of Israel and Moshe is giving speeches to the Jewish people to prepare them about how different it's going to be when they enter the land of Israel from now in the 40 years of the desert and from life the way it was in Egypt. Listen to what Moshe says as Hashem commands him to say it. The land that you're going to now the land of Israel that you are going to take? It's not like Egypt. What do you mean it's not like Egypt? Of course, it's not like Egypt. In Egypt, you were slaves. Here, you're going to be free. In Egypt, they were Egyptians. And here, they're going to be Jews. No, that's not what it means. It means in terms of the crops, in terms of nature. It's not going to be like Egypt, which is the place that you left from. Where you would just plant and then the Nile River provided automatic irrigation and you didn't have to worry about it. In Egypt, planting was static. It was, I'll use this word in a good way, boring. You planted, the Nile provided irrigation, it grew, 
That's it. It didn't change year to year. You knew how much was coming this year. You knew how much was coming last year. You knew how much is coming next year. It was standard. It was set. Didn't change. That's what it was like in Egypt. But where you're going, it's going to be very different. The place, the land that you're going to, the land of Israel, first of all, is very different. Instead of the monotonous flatness of Egypt, which allowed for the easy irrigation along and aside the Nile River, Eretz Harim Uvkaos, Israel is a land of mountains and valleys. Limtar Hashamayim Tishtamayim, and the entire land of Israel depends on rainwater. This is a land where God himself is paying attention every single moment. God is watching and controlling what will happen from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. Because when you depend on rainwater, rain is not constant. Rain is not predictable. Sometimes there's enough rain. Sometimes there's not enough rain. Sometimes there's too much. And sometimes it comes at the wrong time. So God has to provide, has to intercede every single moment. Is this a time for rain? Yes? No. How much rain is needed now? A little bit more? A little bit less? Yes? No. It's not predictable. You're not going to know in advance. It requires direct involvement of God on every at every moment to make sure that it's the right amount of rain in the right time working out. Not like Egypt, which is just based on irrigation and it's always there. Now, for us here, certainly urban dwellers in Montreal, this is just not a part of our reality. I mean, yeah, we care about the rain to know if we need a raincoat, if we're going to get wet outside, but it's not part of our reality in terms of what we need to live. Usually, we take water and rain for granted. Baruch Hashem. Thank God we live in a place where there's plenty. We really don't have to worry about it so much. Yes, once in a while there's a flood somewhere, and that's terrible, yes. But in general, we just take it for granted. In Israel, even today, water is never taken for granted. It is intrinsic to life in Israel, worrying about, is there enough rain? Is there not enough rain? Did it start too early? Did it start too late? Is it coming at the right time? Sukkos in Israel is the transition from the summer dry season to the winter wet season. And therefore, Sukkos is the time to ask God for rain and to acknowledge that it comes from God, not automatic from irrigation of a river that's always there. But because it comes from rain, you have to ask Hashem. And Hashem has to agree. 
And so we have to daven for it. We pray for it. We pray that it will be at the right time. We pray that it will be the right amount. Most of the Sukkos practices and customs and rituals and prayers relate to water in some way. Notice this over the holiday. The Arava, the willow branch, is described in the Torah as Arve Nachal, the branches that grow along a river. Aravos grow where it is too wet for other species to survive. They need an abundant amount of water. Lulav, the palm trees, date palms, that grows only in the desert, but in an oasis in the desert. When you see palm trees in a desert, you know that that is a spot where there is a little bit of water and oasis in the midst of the desert. Hadassim, the myrtle branches, they grow on mountains alongside streams. And the esrog, perhaps the most interesting of all, the esrog is the earliest citrus grown in Israel, and it grows on flat land on plains, flat land, and it always requires irrigation. The Torah itself describes an esrog as pre hadar, which either means the fruit of the beautiful tree or the beautiful fruit of the tree. Two different opinions. But the Talmud has a third opinion about how does this phrase pre eight Hadar, come to identify an Esrog? Benazai, one of the great scholars of the Talmud, introduces a play on words. It's not meant to be in any way a literal understanding, but it's play on words. pre eight Hadar, the word Hadar, sounds like the Greek word Hydar, which means water. Pre eats Hydar, the fruit that grows from a tree that needs the most amount of water. And which one of that? Which one is that? That's the Esrog. The Esrog always needs irrigation, it always needs more water. In other words, the four species, Lulav, Esrog, Hadas, and Rava, symbolize water needed in every diverse part of Israel, in the desert, on the mountains, along the plains, and in the valleys. In other words, the Torah does give a symbolic reason for these four species. When the Torah says, Arve Nachal, because it grows near a water. Because the, the, the lulav, because it is an oasis within the desert. That's the reason it is chosen. And it doesn't have to be edible. The reason for taking these four species is not about the harvest of the crops of fruits and vegetables. It's about much more than that. It's about all of life. It's about everything that needs water.
And this approach to understand that the four species represent the totality of the needs of water in every part of Israel for every usage. And that's what we're praying to Hashem for. With the Lulav and Esrog, we're davening to Hashem that we should have enough water in each of these different geographical areas for every area of life. That's an understanding that we have been blessed with only in modern times with our return to Israel in our day to know what the plants are like in their natural habitat. To seeing them growing where they are natural. So what should a person think about when they take a lulav and esrog on sukkos? As I hold the lulav and esrog and Hadas and Arava, and I hold them together, and I start to wave them, what should I be thinking about? Well, the first thing is that just like when we pray, when we hold a Lulav and Esrog, a Lulav and Esrog we're facing Jerusalem. Listen, please, to the famous words of the Mishnah Brura, Rabbi Yisrael Meir Kagan of Radin, who talked about facing Jerusalem while we are praying. The reason that we in Montreal face towards Jerusalem when we pray is that so we should see in our mind's eye, we should visualize that we are standing in Jerusalem. We should see that in our mind's eye. In order that our thoughts during prayer, of prayer, should align with Jerusalem. So that Every Jew all over the world who is facing Jerusalem through their prayers is bound together with every other Jew. As who ohi nimtsayim Yerushalayim. The fact that we all everywhere in the world are facing different directions in order to face towards Jerusalem. That means that through our prayers, if we visualize ourselves standing there, every single Jew is bound together, is connected at that moment. Because we are all in Jerusalem at the moment of that prayer. It is possible that the Jew it is not geographically located standing in Jerusalem. But Jerusalem is continually found within him and her when we pray. And when we wave the Dalit Minim, Lula Vanesrik in every in every direction, and we walk in a circle with the Dalit Minim, what we are then doing is we extend beyond Jerusalem to every part of Israel. 
We're walking over the mountains and through the deserts and along the plains and down into the valleys of Israel with this Lulav and Esrog representing how we are asking Hashem for the proper amount of water in each one of these places to sustain life in Israel. The mitzvah of Dalad Minim is to take a virtual tour of Israel. We should see ourselves standing at each of these places and feel God's presence and protection and the blessing of life in Israel today made possible by that protection and that protection is represented by the rain that Hashem provides, the water that Hashem provides. So as I'm holding these, I'm thinking about the mountains where the willow grows and the plain where the Esra grows and the desert where the lulav grows and the brooks and valleys where the myrtle grows. And as I'm holding them, I should think about when I was standing in those places and seeing them growing in their natural habitat. And as I do so, and all Jews all over the world are doing the same, we are all bound in this prayer for life in Israel. Sitting in a sukkah transports us through time as if we're traveling through the desert from Egypt to Israel, surrounded by God's presence, surrounded by the sukkah, the temporary dwelling places God provided for us as we traveled. And when we're sitting in a sukkah, we should feel that we are being transported through time from Egypt to Israel, through the desert, protected by God, enveloped by God. And when we hold the Dalad Minim, the Lulu of Esrog, Hadas and Arava hold it together and we make a bracha and we wave it and we walk around with it. That transports us through space as if we are walking the length and breadth of Israel today. That's what we should see in our mind's eye as we go through the rituals of Lulav and Esrog, that we are visiting and seeing the places where these items grow naturally. And at those places, the entire Jewish people, we're meeting them and connected to them and praying to God, provide what we need. Provide the water that we need. Provide the sustenance. Provide the life that will support our holy lives in Israel. My friends, I want to wish you a great day and a wonderful holiday. Please try to think about this and allow these ideas to sink in while we're holding a lulav and esrog, while we're waving it, when we make a bracha, while we're walking around with it, it is a virtual tour of Israel. And I look forward to taking that virtual tour with you this year. My friends, have a great day. I wish you a wonderful preparation time for Sukkos. And I look forward to seeing all of you soon in person.